Hello and welcome to the opening week of the 21-22 NHL season and welcome to episode 44 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and I am back in the D.C. area. I'm in Maryland. This is actually the second time in the last few days that I've driven back and forth from Maryland. I mentioned to you guys last week on the show that I had my sister-in-law's wedding on Saturday. So I came down here on Thursday, spent the weekend, drove back to New York to cover practice on Monday and Tuesday. And then now I'm back in Maryland again on Tuesday night, leading into opening night, for the Rangers in D.C. against the Capitals. So saying that I'm tired is an understatement. I've had very little sleep in the last few days, but I'm still pumped for the beginning of the season. And I'm glad I made it back to New York when I did because there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm really glad I got to see practice on Monday and Tuesday and talk to a bunch of people up there. And now we're ready for opening night. I'm coming to you a day early. The podcast will be released on Wednesday morning instead of the usual Thursday because I wanted to get it out before that opening night game against the Capitals. And we'll have Samantha Pell on the show this week to get us all set for the game. She covers the Capitals for the Washington Post, does a great job. So we're going to get into previewing the game and talking with her in the the latter portion of the show. We'll we'll get to her in a few minutes for the interview, and then in the back end of the show, we're going to talk about some other stuff that's been going on with the Rangers that is mostly focused on this season and the on-ice product. But what we have to start with is, I'm sure, the last thing that the Rangers want us talking about today, but I really feel like there's no other choice. This is the story of the day, hands down, and that is that Vitaly Kratsov, the number nine overall pick from the 2018 draft, has been granted permission to seek a trade, which basically means he wants out. Things have soured quite quickly between Kratsov and the Rangers. They had soured in the past, then they had kind of mended the fence. Kratsov seemed very excited for an opportunity this season. And then when the Rangers sent him down to Hartford, to the AHL, on Monday, the last 24 or so hours, There's been a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, and it has not been good news for either side, really. On one hand, it's surprising. I don't think anybody saw, whether you want to call it a trade request or being granted permission to seek a trade, I don't think anybody necessarily saw that coming. But I can tell you this. When we found out that the Rangers were assigning him to the AHL, which was surprising news after those final roster cuts on Monday, I knew, I knew in my gut that this had the potential to be a sticky situation. I've not only been talking to people about this recently, but we've been talking about this Kratzoff situation for two years now. I've spoken to whether agents, people with the Rangers, other people who know Kratzoff, go on down the line. This has been an ongoing conversation for a couple of years now. I knew that him being sent down was not going to sit well. I wrote about it in a story that I wrote on Monday night. It went up Tuesday morning. And then within a matter of hours after that, the news came out that it seems this is heading for a divorce. Now, anything could change. We felt that way in 2019 when Kratzoff left the Rangers camp and and went back to Russia. And yeah, I'm not going to rehash the whole story. You guys know it, I'm sure, if you're listening to this show. So, I guess it's not impossible that they could find a way to work this out, but but all signs right now are not good. And I, I want to start with this. We're going to talk about a lot of different layers to this issue, but I want to start with this. From the Rangers' perspective, I absolutely feel that accountability has to fall on the player. The fact that he's handling this the way that he is now and he handled this the way that he did in the past is not a good trend. Getting sent down should serve as motivation. You should want to prove people wrong. You should want to work even harder to get back to the position that you want to be in, which we know is in the NHL lineup. You can look at how others have handled it. We can go back to Philip Hedl a couple of years ago. We can talk about guys in the past week. Morgan Marin led Hartford in goals last season, signed out of college a year early to come and play he thought, he hoped, in the NHL. He still has not really gotten that opportunity. He was just sent back to Hartford. He's going to go to Hartford and play and continue trying to work to live his dream. Zach Jones is another guy. Had a really good camp. Was sent down to Hartford because the Rangers have so many defensemen. It was kind of something that a lot of us saw coming, and I think Jones anticipated it. But he said, listen, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. I'm going to go down to Hartford, and I'm going to try to 
force my way back up. So I think the people who say that Kratsov should be taking that same approach, that's valid. There needs to be some onus on him in this situation. I think that not getting your way and then saying I want out is not necessarily the most admirable quality in this. And and it's not a great look for him. There's no doubt about it. I wrote a column in 2019 when we went through the same situation with Kratsov and I was very critical of how he handled his demotion at that time. But there are some differences that I feel really should be noted this time around. It's not apples to apples necessarily. Think about this. Kratsov came back in that 1920 season after his, his brief stint in Russia, played almost 40 games with Hartford. Then last season, he gets loaned to Tractor in the KHL. And by all accounts, I, I talked to a lot of people about this, by all accounts, he did everything that was asked of him. I, I, I even heard this, and you guys heard it on the podcast, from Rangers Director of Player Development, Jed Ortmeyer. They talked about when they sent Kratzoff back to Russia to play in the KHL last year, the mission statement, if you will, was to become a better two-way player, to become a more well-rounded player, to become somebody who they felt they could trust defensively, to be to become somebody who they felt would forecheck and backcheck and, and engage in puck battles and do all the little things that we've heard the Rangers talk about it in every facet, at every level that they want from the players on the team now, from their prospects. It's, it's the right thing to try to teach young players to play the all-around game. And again, Ortmeier, Drury, scouts, a lot of different people felt that Kratzoff showed growth in his game in those areas last year. So I believe that he did what was asked of him last season. Then they bring him over. He finishes the NHL season with the Rangers, gets 20 games, which was viewed as sort of a head start for this coming season, which is when he was really going to be given a chance to make an impact. He prepared for that all summer. I talked to a few people about this. I was told he worked out really hard. I know he came to New York well over a month before camp started because he wanted to be here early. He wanted to be prepared. He wanted to participate in the voluntary skates and workouts. So he, in his mind, Now, I can't confirm that the Rangers directly said this word for word, but in his mind, he felt that he was being led to believe and groomed for an NHL opportunity this season. Now, that was reiterated when we spoke to Chris Drury in September, right before camp began. He said, when I asked the question, why isn't Kratzoff participating in the development camp, that Essentially, they felt that Kratzoff had graduated from that, that they thought it was more valuable for him to be participating in those skates with the NHL guys. That, to me, sent a clear message. I wrote about this when we went through our prospect series and I ranked Kratzoff as the number two prospect in the organization, that the Rangers, by not having him participate in development camp, which Barron and Jones and a lot of other guys did, we're sending a clear message that we look at this as an NHL player right now. Then we get to NHL camp. Now, the injury, the lower body injury happened in that game against the Devils. Forced him to miss a little bit of time, a couple practices. He didn't go on the Rhode Island trip with the team. He didn't play in that following preseason game. But he did make it back for Saturday's game in Bridgeport against the Islanders. He scored a first period goal in that game. And he seemed to be in line for an opportunity. He was on the third line for the most part during camp with Barclay Gaudreau and Philip Heedle. He even got some looks on the top line. And it, it seemed to me like he was pretty much locked in for a roster spot and most likely a top nine opportunity, which you felt like was putting him in the best chance to succeed. Galan had talked about wanting to give young kids opportunities and not feeling like playing them on the fourth line, which is what Kratzoff mostly did last season, was the best way to develop them. So he seemed to me and to pretty much everybody around the team like he was going to get that top nine opportunity. Now, I don't think that Gallant is being disingenuous when he says, which he he said to me today when I asked him the question, that he felt Kratzoff was outplayed by Julian Gauthier and Dryden Hunt, who essentially are the last couple forwards who made the roster. But to me, this is about more than the last few weeks. We just rehashed the history going to the KHL, working on his all-around game, doing what was asked of him last season, biding his time 
for what seemed to be the opportunity that was coming his way this season. Now, nobody should be handed an opportunity. Everyone should have to earn it to some degree. But this is the guy that the Rangers invested a top 10 pick in. We've seen the talent flashed and was very successful and productive in the KHL, which is considered the second best league in the world. So when you are productive in the second best league in the world, what's the next step? The next step to me is an NHL opportunity. And based on everything that we saw last year, it looked like this was the time to give him a chance. I think everything that happened last year should count for something. I know Gallant has only been around him for this short amount of time. And so it's hard to blame the coach for saying, well, what I saw was that these other guys were better. But at the same time, I think as an organizational decision, everything needs to be taken into account. Now, when we say everything needs to be taken into account, there's also the waiver stuff, right? I wrote about this extensively. I'm sure you guys know where I'm going with this. The Rangers, when it came down to their final roster cuts, when they went down to 26 players, right? Jones, Barron, and Kratzoff are are all on their entry-level contracts, which means for them to be assigned to the minor leagues, they do not have to clear waivers. The Rangers can bounce them back and forth all they want, and they never risk losing them to another team. Now, that that is important. On the other hand, we mentioned Gautier, we mentioned Hunt, and, and the guy that we really need to talk about here is defenseman Libor Hayek. Those guys are not on their entry-level contracts anymore. So for them to be sent to the minors, they need to clear waivers, which means exposing them to other teams, which means running the risk of losing them for nothing. So from Jury's perspective, I can absolutely understand wanting to make the decision to protect those guys and send the other guys down for now, knowing you can bring them back at any point. What the Rangers did with their roster construction, if you look at it, is instead of keeping for the full 23-man roster, which is what they did, instead of keeping 14 forwards and seven defensemen, which is very typical, you have the two extra forwards, the one extra defenseman, kind of makes the most sense. They went with 13 forwards and eight defensemen. So they have two defensemen who are going to be healthy scratches now because they kept Hayek and they kept Jared Tenorti and they kept Nils Lundqvist. We were kind of the, the bottom three defensemen on the roster, if you will. Now, Gautier and Hunt, I think you can say did have good camps. Uh, There's a valid argument that those guys deserve to make the roster. But you could have kept them on the roster and still gotten to that 14 number with seven defensemen by still having Kratzoff. Hayek was the guy who, in my mind, blocked Kratzoff. And there's no way that you're going to convince me that Hayek had a standout camp. Maybe you could say he was steady. Maybe you could say you saw subtle improvements in his game. And I totally get not wanting to expose him to waivers. I think there's a chance he would have cleared. But if you could work out a trade for him, I don't think you're getting much, maybe a late round pick. But if you could work out a trade for him and you needed a little extra time to do that, I don't think it was crazy to send Kratzoff down and buy yourself a little more time. And I'm sure, I would hope, that that was communicated to Kratzoff. Again, he didn't handle this well on his end. And you, you would hope, again, from the Rangers' perspective, that they communicated all this stuff to him to make him fully understand the situation. But Hayek is a guy that, if you're looking at the defenseman depth chart right now, it looks like Jared Tenorti is going to play on opening night, but it also sounds, based on what Gallant said to me today, that Nils Lundqvist will play in the Thursday night game against the Dallas Stars. And Lundqvist was named the best rookie in camp. He earned that spot. He, he deserves to play on most nights in the NHL. So, Those are your sixth and seventh defensemen. Hayek is clearly number eight. In order for him to get in the lineup, you're going to need at least two guys to get injured. And even then, there's no way you're going to convince me that Zach Jones didn't have a better camp than Libor Hayek. So I just don't see a path for him into the lineup right now. So if you need to risk exposing him on waivers in order to keep a guy like Kratzoff, who's a much more valuable asset for you on the NHL roster, then I think you need to bite that bullet and do it. The real issue for me here is that the outcome, this messy situation that we have right now, was predictable. In some way, shape, or form, the Rangers had to know that there was a risk of this thing blowing up in their face if Kratzoff was sent to the minors, that he wouldn't take it well, and that things could get ugly in a public way, which is the last thing that I think anybody would want. If the determination was made 
that Kratzoff doesn't have the right team first attitude to succeed here, that's fine. That's understandable, but you keep that in-house. They knew what his trade market is. And if they determined that he wasn't a good fit here and they don't like the way that he's handling these type of demotions and doesn't seem to be motivated in the right way, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, but kind of takes it as a as a personal thing. And I, you know, I don't know if I want to use the word selfish, but I think you guys follow what I'm saying. He didn't use it as fuel to come out and prove people wrong. He said, I'm out of here. I don't like this. I, I, I'm not going to accept this demotion which I don't think is the right way that anybody should handle that sort of situation, quite frankly. But if the Rangers decided that all this is not what they wanted, that this guy is not the right fit here, they had all summer to trade him. And even if maybe they thought that he was doing things right over the summer, and then now more recently, things have gone awry, still, before you demote him, before you let this turn into a public, messy situation, take the best deal you can for him and move on. Chris Drury had to know that there's a chance that this could blow up. And now they're stuck in a position where teams have no incentive to offer them anything of substance. When you know that the guy wants out, are you going to go to the Rangers and and give them a better deal than you would have a couple weeks ago when it looked like he was a guy that was going to be in their lineup, when he looked like he was a guy that had real value for them? The, the, the trade value, 100%, has been diminished now. Maybe, maybe they can still get something decent. I don't know. I can't say that for sure. But there's no way that you would convince me that what they could get today is better than what they could have gotten a week ago, a month ago, whenever. So that, to me, is the real issue here. I wrote about it on Monday night that I thought that this had a chance to ruffle feathers, that I thought that there was a chance that Kratzoff being demoted could cause the Rangers some problems. So I had heard that from people in the last couple of years. And I know that the Rangers had to have heard that. Now, maybe they, don't, maybe they don't care. Maybe they are ready to wipe their hands clean of this. They don't care what they get for him. And they're just ready to move on. That, that's entirely possible. But from, from my perspective, this could have been handled better, certainly from Kratzoff and I believe from the Rangers as well. I think that if they decided that he wasn't a good fit here, they should have gotten rid of him before. Letting it get to this point seems like it was avoidable, and it was definitely, from my perspective, predictable. So we'll see how this shakes out. We'll see where this goes from here. I I have so many other things I wanted to talk about on the show, and we're going to get to in the final segment. And obviously, we're going to preview the game against the Capitals with Samantha right now. I did not anticipate this being the first thing to talk about on the show right before the regular season starts. I'm not going to address this at all in in the back portion of the show, even though I know a lot of your Twitter questions are about this. But I want to say my piece to begin the show, and then we'll move on. So with that, we're going to get to our interview with Samantha, and then I'll be back to talk about some other Rangers stuff in a little bit. All right, we are ready for the new season to start. The Rangers are heading to D.C. to open up against the Washington Capitals. So I reached out to one of my favorite Capitals reporters to follow. That would be Samantha Pell from the Washington Post. Samantha, I appreciate you coming on. I know it's crazy busy this time of year. We're waiting for rosters to be finalized and all that. So I appreciate you carving out a little time for us here. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm really excited, I think, for the opener, just kind of to get back to some normal times um, here in the season. Yeah, we were just talking about how it's like being back around the rank and back around the players, even though it's still not quite back to fully normal. It, it does feel a lot better than it did previously. I think only the reporters can really relate to, to these feelings, but it, it definitely is refreshing to see what we're seeing so far in the preseason. Let's hope it lasts. Um, but I think where I want to start with you and I think what, what Rangers fans really want to know is, is how's Tom Wilson looking? Have you noticed him practicing his right hook or like, does he seem like he's gearing up for, for uh, a battle on Wednesday night? <laughs> yeah. For right now, there's no like behind the scenes, you know, Tom has like a punching bag out and um, brings it out on the ice and all that. That's not happening. Um, but no, I, I just think the general sense around the room, or at least from the Capitals perspective is they don't really see this as a payback game or kind of that gritty physical game that maybe Rangers fans kind of see it as they kind of see it as, okay, it's another big divisional game. It's the opener. They all recognize that, you know, what the NHL probably wanted to come out with a bang and to have these two teams kind of go at it here in DC. I mean, 
it's gonna be it's gonna be a situation i think i think it's one of those games where it lives up to the hype and there's gonna be some fights and some big moments or maybe we see a guy like tom wilson kind of back away and say you know what no i i don't want to do this and we see how the night hates us but yeah, overall, you know, Tom is good. He's uh, not bringing out the punching bag just yet. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I, I think what's interesting to me is from from me covering the Rangers, there's been a lot made of the incident. And I feel like it's been talked about throughout the league that, you know, obviously Tom Wilson and Artemi Panarin and everything that happened at the end of the season. But it's mostly been talk about the Rangers' reaction. So how is that whole thing viewed in D.C.? Yeah, I, I think in D.C. a lot of people – at least fans will always back their players, right? They will always back Tom Wilson. Um, they feel like what Tom did was, you know, maybe not correct or right um, in a lot of people's eyes. But it felt like, you know, if a guy like Panarin jumps on his back, is Panarin the person who should be doing that? That's kind of the narrative that's come out of Washington that, you know, Wilson's talked about. He's said kind of multiple times he sees Panarin as a good friend, a great hockey player, but does acknowledge, you know, should he have been the guy to kind of go after me? And maybe that's why they did make some organizational changes. I think someone joked and said, hey, you know, a lot of people are calling you, you know, kind of the mastermind of this Rangers kind of rebuild and blow up. And you were the one that's caused all of this. And Tom said, yeah, I can't take credit for that. But, you know, maybe that is something that the organization needed to do and was eventually going to do. So I I think in Washington, people kind of sit here and, um, look at the incident, know it's kind of wrong, but also to see Tom and what he's done, um, they're always going to back him. Yeah, of course. I, you know, it's interesting that you, that you touch on the organizational changes and how much influence Wilson had on that. And I think from the outside looking in, it's easy to, to make that assumption. And I don't doubt that there was, it might've been a partial factor in everything that happened, but I do think that the, the way that the Rangers fared against not just the Capitals, but especially a team like the Islanders, like those teams that have a smothering four check and play really physical. I think those games were viewed as eye-opening for ownership and management and all that. And that's what convinced them that they needed to add more of that size and that grit and that sort of thing. So I don't think it was only Wilson, but I think it's easy to fixate on Wilson because of, of the incident. And Wilson, to me, I want to get your perspective as somebody who covers him, He's absolutely one of those guys that I think fans love to have on their team and hate when they're playing against him. But but what what's your impression of him? Do you think he crosses the line too often or do you see a lot of it as calculated? Yeah, I think with Tom, just getting to know him over the years and talking with him, I mean, first of all, he's a very good person. I don't think he's a bad human being. And I think he always tries to do the right thing. And I think none of us really know until you're out there and you are an NHL hockey player, what happens when you step on the ice and something happens and it's a millisecond of thinking, do I do this or do I do that? And how do I react? And so I don't think any of us can really sit here and say, this is what I would do in this situation in a perfect world. But I think Tom has tried at least to kind of learn how to flip the switch and learn where he can react and shouldn't react. And um, I I just think for him, yeah, he's had some hits that are very bad and very questionable and are very ill-timed, but I don't think any of those came with the malicious intent. It was just, I'm going to go after it and I'm a hockey player and I'm trying to do my job. And I went over the line. So I think moving on, you know, he knows that he needs to be one of those offensive minded players to help this team. And he can't be sitting in the box. He can't be suspended for 10 games. Like this team does not have enough of that kind of youthful young players and goal scoring players for him to do that. They really do need him in the lineup. He really is a first line, you know, right winger. So I think for the Caps, they all know that they've been saying that for years now, but it just seems like every couple of years we start to kind of have this same narrative with Tom and every single time he talks about how he's learning and he's trying to get better. And I think the incident, you know, last year, I think it was just completely different than all the other things. I think this was a, after the whistle situation, it wasn't a big hit, you know, an open ice and something happens. It was a kind of out of character moment. um, I think, and this is something that I think everyone just kind of has to learn how to move on from and we'll see, you know, how he kind of deals with that this season. Is it fair to say that he's a guy that the team really rallies around, that he's a guy that sets the tone for them? I mean, is he is he much of a leader or like, like how do you kind of view his role within the team? Yeah, you know, a lot of people see Tom as 
maybe the Capitals' next captain once Ovi retires or leaves or goes to Russia or something. Um, they really do truly believe that Tom has all the characters to be that guy to stand up in front of the room and, you know, wear the C on his jersey. And they feel like, you know, everything that he does is for the team. It's to spark the team. It's to help them. It's to be that physical enforcer to, you know, stick up for guys like Ovechkin or the Backstroms or Knetsovs of the world. And, um, yeah, I, I think the team really does admire him and they admire all the responsibility that he's kind of put on his shoulders, whether that's fair or unfair to kind of throw that all on him. He's It's kind of been his role and he just kind of learns, has, again, how to balance that enforcer role and being a top line winger next to Alex Ovechkin. Yeah. And he really, I mean, people might forget that easily, but he really is more than just an enforcer. Like he's a, he's a quality player who who can produce offensively. And as you said, plays on the top line for a very good team. So kind of easy for fans to forget that, but th- that that is important to remember. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when he first came into the league, he needed to, you know, kind of prove himself and be something um, on the Capitals. And he kind of realized that that role was being a physical enforcer and showing that he could throw big hits and showing that he can move his body around. And that's how he kind of got to this position now of being on the top line and scoring goals and, you know, playing on the power play and the penalty kill. And he has so many different responsibilities that he's one of those guys that I think is very, very rare in the league right now. Um, And probably to your point earlier, every team would love to have him. They just would hate to play against them. <laughs> yeah. The, the Rangers, if you look at some of their prospects right now and the way that they've drafted, they're trying to get guys like that guys that they feel have offensive upside and some versatility to their game, but that also can answer the bell when it comes to the physicality kind of stuff. They, for this game in particular that we're getting ready for on Wednesday, they really do seem to be bulking up the lineup. Like Gallant wouldn't confirm it to me today, but you look at what they did that, you know, they had young skilled prospects in the lineup for most of camp, like Vitaly Kratzoff and Nils Lundqvist. They, they, it seems like those guys aren't going to play on Wednesday. And instead they're going to put guys like Jared Tenorti and Dryden Hunt. And they're moving Sammy Blay up in the lineup. I mean, these are guys that, that hit a lot. They're bigger guys. They're more physical guys. So the Rangers are downplaying the payback factor, but I, <laughs> I, I definitely think it seems like they're going to try to send some kind of a message. And I guess my question is, you know, how is that going to work out? Like by not necessarily playing your most talented players, but by playing guys that are more geared towards doing these specific things, like, is that going to help them beat the Capitals? I I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. I mean, I I guess it's going to be super interesting to see, I think from the Capitals flip side of it, how they respond to it. And if they respond with, you know, their physical guys going at it, is Tom Wilson going to fight multiple times? Is he going to say no, maybe Garnet Hathaway, you can take this one. Um, But outside of that, when you look at the Capitals lineup, I think, Maybe some people outside of the city forget that, you know, Chara isn't here. Brendan Dillon isn't here. They lost some of these huge guys on defense that, you know, did fight a lot, that did throw a lot of hits. And now you're kind of left with more skilled players, like, and some young players, like a Henderson Pierre, this 19-year-old, um, he might start at the third line center for the Capitals come Wednesday because Backstrom's hurt. And, you know, he's not going to be answering the bell. Um, he's a young 19 year old. He's skilled. He's not going to be doing that. You have guys like Kuznetsov and Daniel Sprong and some other guys that aren't fighters. And so if the Rangers are going to go physical and bulk up, I, I don't know if the Capitals have those guys to match outside of a Tom Wilson and a Garnet Hathaway. The roles could be reversed a little bit. It sounds like that could be interesting. So you mentioned Backstrom. We know he won't play any update on Ovechkin. No update with Ovechkin. He has not been on the ice the last two days after he got hurt um, on Friday's finale. So I think with the Capitals, with him, you know, he's still day-to-day. I think since he's Alex Ovechkin, if he wakes up Wednesday morning and he's like, I want to play in this hockey game, I think he's going to play in the hockey game. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I don't think you can say no to that, but we haven't seen him practicing. I, you know, the team is supposed to skate tomorrow probably, so we might see him on Tuesday. But as of right now, it's still up in the air. And if he doesn't go, it's probably going to be another really young guy filling in his place. So where does this Caps team stand in your mind? They seem to get some kind of spark from Laviolette last year, but the playoffs were a disappointment. The core, a lot of the core that we've talked about is getting older, but you also mentioned young guys coming in. So kind of how do you view this, this team going into the new season? Yeah, I think headed into the season when we didn't really know about Backstrom and where he stood, it was kind of the same narrative of this team is getting older. They're an aging core. You still have all the main guys and Ovi and Backstrom and Carlson and TJ Oshie wasn't exposed in the draft. You still have him. You know, they kept Kuznetsov. He wasn't, you know, being traded. There was a lot of draft or trade rumors this season. So they kept all of their main guys. And 
it really felt like, okay, this is what they're going to kind of ride with till the end. And now you have Backstrom hurt, maybe Ovi hurt. You add a couple young, really, really young guys in. And I think maybe now is kind of a transition year for the Caps and seeing, you know, maybe we can make another run at it. Maybe we can't. But I think from their perspective, they're just kind of seeing what they have. And obviously they're never going to say they don't want to win and they don't want to win a cup. But when you look at the division and how everyone stacks up, I mean, I think from Washington's point of view, Carolina looks super strong. The Islanders look strong. I think the Rangers, everyone's, at least from our end, super curious to see how the team kind of shakes out, what type of lineups they go with. Do they go more physical, big bodied, or they do they go skill? Um, so I think this could be a pretty defining year. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk by any means. I think maybe we get down to the last couple of months of the season and the Caps are fighting for a playoff spot or, you know, they're kind of set, but I don't see a situation where it's going to be definitely clear cut in the first month or so. I think it's going to be kind of a work in progress. You mentioned Kuznetsov. Like, I feel like I heard his name all summer and it seemed like people <laughs> thought he was definitely going to be traded. Did you think that maybe the, their interest in trading him was overblown or they weren't happy with the offers they received? I, I definitely think they tried to trade Kuznetsov. I don't think that's out of the question. Like they definitely were looking um, at teams and trying to see what situations would look best just because he had such an inconsistent season and really has been inconsistent since that cup run. And they've been looking for him to kind of be his 2018 self. Um, but no, I don't think it was overblown. I just think the offers that they were getting back, just they weren't there for them. And that's probably just not what they wanted. So yeah, I think, it'll be really interesting to see how he does this season. And, you know, he's said multiple times that now that he feels like he's mentally here and he feels like he's in it and he feels like he's a hundred percent ready to go, but it feels like we've kind of heard that from him every single year um, since 2018. So I think it's going to be all about his production and how he kind of fits, especially if some of the big guys are out to start. You talked about some of the the youth movement and how much will those guys play, but what what do you maybe see as some of the other big question marks for this team? I definitely think, you know, Anthony Mantha was that really big blockbuster trade that I think sometimes even a lot of people in Washington forget that Mantha's on this team Um, just because it seems like he showed up in the first four games. He scored in every single game that he played in, in the first four for the Caps, and then he went 14 games without a goal, and that's how he ended his season. And I think the Capitals really need him to play a really big part. I know they hope that he's a 30 goal scorer in a perfect season, but I think he at least has to have 20. I think a guy like Daniel Sprong, he didn't have a full-time role last year, but he's going to be one of those guys. He's, I think he's only in his mid twenties, probably 24. And he also probably needs to be that 20 goal scorer that they kind of hope he's going to be. So I think it's all about offense for the Caps. They really struggled last year in the postseason to get any sort of offense. And I think that's going to, it's going to be a major factor this year. Yeah. They, they seem, as you mentioned, like a little bit of a team in transition. And then I guess one of the last things I want to ask you about on that note is when you look at this division, I, I just had, a, I don't know if you have to do anything like this for, for USA today. I just had to submit my picks for the division. It's there's a lot of interesting teams there, but I don't know if there's like a clear front runner. Do you, do you have a pick? Do, do you see any team as, as the team to beat here? It's hard because I look at Carolina and I think they have a really great roster and then I look at their goalie situation and I'm like, I don't know if that goalie situation is going to be okay. 100% clear cut the one, the division. And then you look at the Islanders and their situation and you think, Oh, well, you know, they have a pretty solid roster through and through, but can they do what they've been doing in the last couple of years and continuing that upward trend? So I would say probably either one of those teams, but I don't think there's a 100% this team is winning the division because if the Capitals, for some reason, you know, get on a hot streak and their young guys come to life and everything kind of works out and melds and works together, then maybe they do win again. So I think the Metro has always been hard and a toss up and I think it's going to be a toss up again. I went with the Islanders. I feel like like everybody always talks about them being more of a playoff team and they don't do as well mm-hmm. in the regular season. But to me, they have just keep they keep getting better each year. They were thought maybe at least as far as what we saw in the playoffs, the second best team behind Tampa last year. And Mm -hmm. to to me, they're my pick to win the division. We'll see how that, how that all plays out. I I do think it's going to be a grind of a division. It's going to be a really interesting season. And there's probably about five teams you could say wouldn't be a total shock if they, if they won it. So that that's, that's kind of, it sounds like that's maybe how we both feel going into this. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think when you look at Pittsburgh too, I mean, like I have no clue what Pittsburgh is really going to be doing and with Crosby and Malkin and how that's all going to shake out. And they, they seem to be always following, or I guess the Capitals seem to always be following a similar path to the Penguins and how kind of everything's been falling and all of that. So yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun division to watch and see. And now that we have like a full 82 game schedule and it's not just your division that you're playing, um, I think it's going to be really interesting. Awesome. Awesome. Samantha. Well, thank you so much. I will see you on Wednesday. I'm looking forward to, to getting around a little bit, a lot of traveling for us early in the season here on your way out. Uh, obviously I'll show fans and, and tweet out uh, where to follow you and all that, but anything you want to plug, tell fans where to, where to find your work, anything like that. Um, yeah, I guess all my stuff is usually on Twitter. I'm at, at Samantha J Pell and um, all my stuff is on the Washington post.com, but yeah, it should be a fun season and yeah, excited to get going again. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're back. Big thanks again to Samantha for taking the time to come on the show during what I know has been a busy week for me and I'm sure has been a busy week for her. So we appreciate the time. It almost feels like the game has been forgotten a little bit given all the other stuff that was going on Monday with the captain stuff and Tuesday with the Kratzoff stuff. But I think once the puck drops on Wednesday night, and I'm sure even in the hours leading up to it, there's going to be a lot of excitement and anticipation from Rangers fans to see what they're going to get from this team this season. My big question, and this is a teaser for the column that I have coming out on Wednesday before the game, but my big question is, we know the Rangers are tougher, but are they a better team? We just touched on that with Samantha a little bit, but we're going to get the answers on the ice pretty soon. So that's something that I know I'm looking forward to, and I'm sure a lot of you are looking forward to as well. And with that, I have to tell you guys, I've been scrolling through your questions and it's like 95% about Kratzoff, which as you heard, if, you got, if you've got, if you reached this point of the show, we talked about quite a bit in the first segment of the show. So I'm not going to rehash any of that stuff. We're going to move on and talk about other stuff. And based on some of the questions that I'm seeing here as I'm quickly scrolling, and based on what I know is kind of, are kind of the topics of the day and the things that I wanted to address on this show, I'm going to go through these three things that I've identified. And the first one that we'll start with is what we talked to Samantha about a little bit, and that's the lineup. Not only the lineup that we're going to see on opening night, but how the lineup will be utilized throughout the course of the season. I had a feeling that the Rangers might go a little heavier, a little grittier for this game, but they really seem to have gone all in on that. They are clearly trying to send a message. Now, Gallant said it to us on Tuesday we spoke to Chris Kreider. We spoke to Ryan Reeves, who is healthy, by the way. Amazing that after that crazy leg injury that he had last week in which it looked like his leg bent completely the wrong way, uh, as he put it today when I asked him, my body is a temple. And I told him, listen, if my leg ever did that, I don't think I'd be walking for like a year. I can't believe that you're skating and now you're standing in front of me. But he looks fine. It's, it's pretty amazing. He looks like he's ready to go. He's going to be in the lineup on Wednesday. We knew he's going to play. he was going to play, and he's going to be in the lineup pretty much every night, no matter what. But the other moves that the Rangers made, and this was a precursor to the Kratzoff stuff, was we didn't see Kratzoff in that third line right wing spot on Monday or Tuesday. What we saw was Sammy Blay moved up to play with Barclay Gaudreau and Philip Heedle. So that now becomes much more of a checking line, much more of a line that's going to throw their body around and, and be a physical presence for the Capitals to deal with. Although you still obviously have some speed and some skill with Heedle. And then the fourth line is still Kevin Rooney and Ryan Reeves, but you've got Dryden Hunt, who, as we saw, is quite an energetic presence and also likes to hit quite a lot. He's going to play on that fourth line. So your bottom six is just by taking out Kratzoff, moving Blay up and inserting Hunt. That looks... It had some grit to it before, but now it's like extra gritty, if you will. And then as far as the defensive pair goes, you know, the top two are what we've seen all preseason. But the bottom pair, Patrick Nemeth is in there, but Nils Lundqvist is not going to play against the Capitals. It's going to be Jared Tenorti. Now, a lot of people, <laughs> if you talk to them about Tenorti's game, they're going to say he's big. He's six foot six. And 
he's definitely a guy who will throw some hits and will drop the gloves if needed. There's not a whole lot of mobility there. There's some question marks defensively. You're not going to get anything offensively. But Gallant really seems to like him. He's praised him quite a few times during this preseason. And he said today, we got him for a reason. We are going to use him in certain games. And obviously the Capitals are a team that they feel like they want to use him against. It's clear based on the conversations with these guys today, they want to set a tone against the Capitals. And whether that means there's going to be multiple fights, which I think there's a good chance of, or it just means that there's going to be a lot of hits and a lot of stuff going on where the Rangers are trying to prove that they're a tougher team than they were last year. I think you're going to see quite a bit of that on Wednesday. My concern would be getting too wrapped up in those parts of the game and not actually playing the game. So if the Rangers come out and throw a lot of hits and win some fights, that's great. But you got to win the game. That's the most important thing. And and that's sort of my question moving forward. Like, okay, you're going to do this on opening night, but how often are you going to go to this big and gritty lineup, if you will? You could see them doing it against the Islanders. You could see them doing it against a team like the Bruins. Would they do it against a team like the Hurricanes? I mean, at some point, I think you need to stick with your best players and ride them. And there's no question in my mind that the Rangers are better off with Nils Lundqvist in their lineup than they are with Jared Tenorti. I also feel like the Rangers are probably better off with Vitaly Kratsov in their lineup. But here we are. So it's interesting. It might work. I don't doubt that there's some merit to this. I don't doubt that maybe this strategy could pay off. And again, the Rangers seem like they want to send a message to the rest of the league, particularly on opening night. So maybe they do that effectively. And then I think Thursday night, you'll obviously see Lundqvist in there. And maybe you see another lineup tweak or two. Although now Kratzoff doesn't look like he's going to be an option for you. But Gautier could come in. I think there's a few different things that they could do. But I, I, that's kind of my question mark moving forward. Like, A, will this work on opening night? And then B, how often are you going to do that moving forward? So the top six, nothing crazy there. We talked to Chris Kreider today about the move to right wing. I, I think it's pretty obvious that he volunteered to do it because he felt like Lafreniere was more comfortable on the left side. So an admirable thing from Chris Kreider, who we know is, is very much a team first guy and looks out for young guys like Lafreniere. I want to see how that's going to look. I want to see how Capo Caco is going to look next to Artemi Panarin and Ryan Strom. I think Caco had a really, really good camp. So it's exciting. It's it's one of those things where I know people are going to be critical of the fact that the lineup doesn't look like it did maybe for for all of camp and and they're going with guys like Tenorti. But I want to see if that's going to work and then I want to see where they go from there. But I do think you'll see Lundqvist in the lineup on Thursday night when I ask Alon about that today. He didn't give me a definite yes, but but he he seemed to indicate that you, we're going to see him soon. So that's where we'll go with the lineup. That's what I believe you're going to see on Wednesday night. The next topic I want to address is, of course, I can't believe we're this deep into the show and we haven't talked about it, but that's the Mika Zibinijad contract extension. News came out on Sunday that he signed for eight years at $68 million. And I don't want to pat myself on the back too much here, but if you guys listen to this show, and I love all my loyal listeners... I appreciate you guys more than I can express in words. If you go back before training camp, I said on this show, I also wrote it, that it sounded to me like the Rangers were willing to go to eight years, which was a priority for Mika, if they could keep that average annual value in between eight and nine million. What did they do? They got Mika to accept an average annual value of 8.5, and therefore they went to the eight years. So... I don't want to say I called it, but I I definitely had, let's say, pretty good sourcing on this and and a strong feeling that if they could get Mika to agree to those terms, as far as the money side of it went, that this deal would be done before training camp. And here we are, the deal is done before training camp. The big criticism from fans, of course, as it always is with a long-term deal, is that it's too long. Is that at the end of the deal, Mika will be... He'll turn 37 just before the deal ends, but really it's his age 36 season will be the last year of the deal. So obviously paying $8.5 million a year for a center at 34, 35, 36 isn't as appealing as doing it right now when he's 28, 29, and 30. He's in his prime now. He's not going to be in his prime later. There's no doubt about that. How well he'll age, nobody has any idea. 
chances are he's going to take steps back. Chances are he's going to slow down in certain aspects of his game. But nobody knows for sure what kind of player he's going to be in seven, eight years. What we do know is the kind of player that he is right now. And what I wrote about as part of that story that went up on Tuesday morning is that I think we kind of forget that right before COVID hit, Mika was hands down the hottest player in the NHL. He led the NHL in goals per game in that 1920 season, and he was absolutely on fire right before the league shut down because of COVID. That halted his momentum. There was a long layoff after that. And then when he was gearing up to hopefully pick up where he left off for that 2021 season, he gets COVID. And we know now that those effects were lingering. We know that something looked off for him for the first two months, and he finally admitted at the end of the season that physically and mentally he was not right for a long time after having COVID. It affects everybody in different ways. And I think that, that was it was pretty obvious to us watching that something wasn't right with him. This, to me, now that the contract's behind him, the COVID stuff is behind him, this is a chance to pick up where he left off right before COVID hit. If he can go back to being one of the most efficient goal scorers in the NHL, which is what he was, and I believe what he still can be, then $8.5 million a year is going to look really good. You can look at whether it's Jack Eichel, whether it's Barkoff with the Florida Panthers, who just re-signed last week. It is very common now for top centers to get $10 million a year, and I'm sure some, especially free agents, will end up commanding more than that. $8.5 million is definitely a fair price for Zabinijad at this stage in his career. There's, there's really no doubt in my mind about that. People can argue, is he a top 10 center in the league? Is he top 15, maybe, you want to say? Either way, there's got to be 32 number one centers in the league. Every team needs a number one center. And Mika, to me, is in the top half of that. He's one of the he's in the better half of all the number one centers in the league, all the team, all those centers that are playing on the top line for their respective teams. And for the Rangers to lock him up at a price that was no doubt less than what he would have commanded had he hit the open market, that's got to be viewed as somewhat of a win. Eight and a half versus nine, nine and a half, ten, that's going to make a really big difference for the Rangers in the next few years as their cap situation, as we've talked about before, gets tight. So, of course, if you had your druthers, if you could handpick the deal yourself in a perfect world for the Rangers, would they have preferred five years, six years? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody's going to deny that. But you have to give to get. And for Zabinijad to come down from a $10 million asking price, the Rangers had to go further with the years. And there's there's ways, if, if the contract ends up looking bad at the end, whether it's a buyout or whatever, we've seen it done before, they can cross that bridge when they get to it. Maybe he ages well. Maybe he is still a productive player into his 30s. We don't know. But in the here and now, he's obviously a needed player for them because we know that their center depth behind him is questionable. And paying eight and a half for a legitimate number one center is is a very, very fair price given the market that we've seen recently. So that's that's my take on Mika Zibanejad. Final topic I want to address here as we close down the show is the captaincy. And I know that a lot of you were anticipating where the Rangers were going to go with this. And listen, from my perspective, the whole thing is a little bizarre because we were very much led to believe that a captain was going to be announced. Gallant said it multiple times that they were going to make an announcement before opening night. I can't say this for sure, but I I do have some strong hunches and some strong indications on this. I do believe that Drury had every intention of having a captain for opening night. But I also think that he didn't want to make that decision on his own. Gallant's the new coach. He wants to give him a large say in this. And he ultimately told him that he could make the final call. That's what Gallant told us. And I think that it sounds to me like Gallant went to him and said, listen, I don't know that I feel comfortable picking one guy at this point. My preference would be to go with a leadership group. He compared it to what he had in Vegas when they didn't have a captain either. And that's the path that they went down. I think Drury deferred to Gallant in this situation and said, you know what, if that's the route you want to take, let's go ahead and do it. Now, a lot of people are saying, 
that goes to show that the Rangers don't have a clear leader. They don't have a worthy guy of wearing the C. I don't quite look at it like that. I do believe that the Rangers have some good leaders on this team. And we've talked about who the, who the guys are. I think what it came down to is Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, and Jacob Trooper were obviously the leading candidates, as we've talked about on the show before. But I found this in my conversations with multiple people. And maybe this is the same vibes that Gallant and Drury and others were getting from the guys in the locker room that there wasn't a clear choice between those three. They're all valued by their teammates in their own unique ways, but one guy didn't necessarily stand above the rest. Is that a bad thing? I don't know. I don't necessarily think so. We've talked about how they each bring something different to the table. And I think from the Rangers' perspective and from the players' perspective too, that letting it be more of a group approach instead of putting all that pressure and all that weight on one guy's shoulders was not a bad outcome. I really do believe this, that this is a bigger deal for the fans than it is for the players. And Chris Chris Kreider said that straight up today when I asked him the question. They seem to almost be a little, I don't know if relieved is the right word, but I think that they are fine. They are absolutely fine with this being the decision for now. Whether or not they could change their mind at some point this season, it doesn't sound like it to me. I asked Gallant that, and he said he doesn't see it changing. And from the the feeling that I've been getting from people around the organization, this is the plan for now. They're going with the six alternates. It's a lot of alternates. You're going to have three at home, three on the road. Panarin, Gaudreau, Truba, Zabinijad, Kreider, and Strom. And that's the path that they chose to take. I don't see it as a huge deal, to be honest with you guys. I, I, I think that it was, I guess, somewhat of a letdown because we were anticipating this. I was even considering writing advanced stories, one for Zabinijad, one for Kreider, one for True, but just to have them ready when they did finally make the decision. I'm glad I didn't waste my time doing that. But again, I tried for, for not only months, probably the last couple of years to figure out who the leading candidate was, and I could not find a consensus, which leads me to believe within their organization, they couldn't find a consensus. And rather than putting the pressure on one guy, if you weren't completely sold that he was the right choice, this leadership group, I I, I think it's fine. I, I don't think that this gonna, it's going to make or break the Rangers season or have a negative impact on the locker room or anything like that. The players that we've talked to about in the last couple of days all seem like they're fully on board with this plan. And Chris Kreider, again, to me today said, I think this is a bigger deal for you guys, meaning the media and the fans, than it is for us here in the locker room. So that's where we'll leave it with the captain stuff. We're going to have another, maybe another year of speculating about this, but I'm not going to talk about it for a while. I can tell you guys right now, this is going to be the last time we address the, the captain thing on the show until there's some news to report. So with that, I'm going to go. It's almost 8 o'clock, down in Maryland again. I don't even know where I am. I feel like half the time in the past week, but I'm in Maryland. I'm confirming that. I'm looking around the room right now. I'm going to be in D.C. tomorrow night, Wednesday for the game, then Thursday back to New York for the game against the Stars. Then Saturday, I fly to Canada. We got Montreal. We got Toronto. It's going to be a crazy week. Back on the road, back in the swing of the season. It's it's. I can't believe that it's here, and I can't believe that I'm going to be back like traveling, which is sort of hard to wrap my head around after not traveling last season. But I'll keep you guys posted on everything from the road. We'll still have new podcasts coming to you each week from the road, so I'll be coming to you from different hotel rooms and, and all that. But it's going to be more exciting. I'm probably going to have more stories to share with you guys than I did last year. So a lot to look forward to, but right now I'm looking forward to some sleep. So I wish you guys all the best. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. I hope you enjoy some real hockey games that count. And with that, I'm out.